0: Authors, I'm Joanne Morrell, children's and young adult fiction writer author of short nonfiction for authors thanks for joining me for the hybrid author podcast sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you board your career as a hybrid author both independently and traditionally publishing your books you can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the hybrid author website to discover your writing process get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au Let's crack on with the episode.
1: I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Welcome to the very first episode of 2023. Today's interview is with multiple award-winning children's author, Diane Wolfer, and Diane's chatting to us on writing across genres, the publishing industry, and working with different publishing houses, commissioned works, and hybrid authorship, and she shares her tips for authors looking to write in multiple areas. So on my author adventure this week I'm still on holidays so not a lot of author stuff has been getting done. I've been happy reading my book club book A Month of Sundays by Liz Brusky um, I'm not sure uh, how you pronounce her surname so lots of reading relaxing currently in Denmark which is uh, south uh, western Australia in our caravan and it is just beautiful down here and I it's a place I could actually live it's they describe it as the forest meets the beach and it's just lovely so again once again I am recording this from my car but this time not the side of the road just at the office beside the caravan park I'm in uh parked up so yeah very short and sweet author adventure I have been obviously keeping up with the podcast when it needs to be released and also fulfilling my commitments of being the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators newsletter editor and putting a couple of social media posts up, although I haven't been so active there as I am on holiday. But yeah, so that that's really about it for just now. Just enjoying these final days as... Uh, it all kicks back off the week of the 16th and uh, yeah I've been making little notes here and there of certain things and trying to really just schedule and organize myself as if you listen to the last episode the lessons learned you'll know that going into 2023 organization is my word for the year so I'll be sticking to that. So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author. Or you can leave me a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on to help other writers like you discover the podcast. Let's all support each other.
0: Diane Wolfer is the award-winning author of 23 books for children and teenagers. She is a passionate advocate for children's literature in Australia, using her teaching background to present author talks and workshops at schools and festivals across Australia and internationally. Diane serves six years as WA advisor for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and she currently serves as remote regions coordinator for Squibby Australia West. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Diane. Thanks so much for having me, Jo. Oh, thanks for coming on. You've had a massive, massive career. So we'll start just by you telling us, you know, why the writing industry? How did you come into
2: it? Oh, I think I've always loved writing i I'm one of those people who make sense of the world by writing notes and and little not dot points and all the rest of it. So I, when I finished teacher's college, I went backpacking through Asia, as you did in those days. We lived in Thailand as a child for two years, from when I was 10 to 12. And so I thought at the time there was a conflict on the border. So I thought maybe I could be useful in a refugee camp or something. So went over, ended up continuing backpacking on to Nepal and then worked. They needed a teacher in a very remote part of Western Nepal, away from where all the, the, the fun trekking and all that goes on. It's a very a lot of challenging conditions up there. So I took on that challenge. Um, the more they said it was going to be tricky, the more I thought, "Great, I'll go up there." Um, I was actually teaching the children of, of missionaries who were there trying to make conditions better. So anyway, I was up there for um, about nine or ten months and had plenty of time to to write. And so I just started jotting my short stories. And my first publication was an article when I came down from the hills called "Eating Out in Kathmandu," which. At the time, there was buffalo meat moussaka and soup with goat's hooves in it. And and, um, it was also the end of the hippie trail days. And there was amazing pie shops everywhere with, like, you know, massive lemon meringue pies and things for people's cravings. And yeah, lots of things to write about. So that's, I guess, then I came back to Australia and started, I joined the Society of Women Writers and started writing short stories. One of the short stories turned into my first book, Dolphin Song, in 95 with Fremantle Press. And that was back in the days when the YA genre was not really, it was just starting a long time ago. Yeah, it was the third YA book that Fremantle Press put out.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. What a story they are. <laughs> As we heard from your bio, you do have 23 books and counting at the moment. Can you tell us like
2: what categories do they fall into? Such an interesting, uh, I, I looked myself when we decided on this fun topic, uh, I looked and I started trying to group them. So I actually have got, I wrote them down. I thought, Okay, there's six historical fiction but one of those is a picture book. YA, there's four, and one of those crosses over to middle grade where there's, say, four. Bio, biographies or STEM, there's two there. Picture book three, and then the light, the light series. I don't know how you classify that, what, whatever that well might be. Um, and that really started, there weren't many of those kind of unusual picture books that are for any age back when they first one, Lighthouse Girl, came out. Uh, one fantasy, The Shark Caller, which took me 10 years yeah. to get right. That was really hard fantasy is such a hard genre and it's not even true sort of high fantasy it's really what if they're uh, you know in, it's set in papua new guinea under the ocean anyway mm-hmm. in the ocean anthropomorphism i guess two of them would fall into that boat younger readers there's a couple um and then even like the educational market i've got five titles that were with thompson learning now Sengage, and wow. i know ages ago i heard a very established author saying on the radio, a little bit poo-pooing the educational market. But I think, you know, I feel really strongly that many children don't have parents who will go and buy them books. So really, school and the library is where they're going to get their books. So the educational market is massively important, Mm, uh, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so there's so many uh, hybrid (laughs) kind of ways of doing it. I guess a lot of those genres overlap and you could say, well, they're, they're different. You know, one's middle grade and fantasy, one's historical and middle grade or. Yeah. um,
1: I suppose
0: what ties them all together, like it's still in the children's realm, but it is still different age groups, different, there is different categories. And I guess I've always, I, I don't know many. Authors that have been able to do what you do, because I've I've always just heard that publishers that you sort of maybe get a deal for one book and then they want you to keep going in that same direction. They don't want you to kind of pivot into different areas. So how has that been for you? Did you you obviously like you said uh, so Dolphin Song was that middle grade?
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, well, YA in those YA. days, yes, it was called. But none of my YA are, well, I think upper primary could read them. I'm mm. um, sure about teenage pregnancy, so maybe not that one as much. But even then, I found year seven, which was primary when it came out, they were most interested in it. So mm. yeah, which surprised me how young that one goes. But I think Sometimes I've stopped and thought exactly what you're saying. This is maybe not a very wise career move as far as making (laughs) a a solid income as an author, but I guess you just have... Do, do do what works for you. I guess yeah. one benefit is I like to go, I like regional schools if I'm touring and usually, you know, you've got them from the preppies up to year 10. And so I've got something for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so in that,
0: in that sense, it has been a good move. When you obviously got your first publishing deal, did they want you to continue in that direction or did you have ideas for something else and you've just kind of gone with your creative heart where it's taken you?
2: Yeah, interesting. It was such a long time ago that- yeah. With the YA genre being so new, my, my next two books were YA. Uh, and then I kind of fell into, I'd always wanted to do picture books. So my first picture book, Photographs in the Mud is set, um, along the Kokoda track in Papua New Guinea. So it, it's been out for about 18 years or so, yeah. but it's not really for little y- year ones. I'm not going to show it to year ones because it's too scary, yeah. but that's <laughs> been used as visual literacy up into year 10. And yeah. so is again, that with Fremantle Press? Yeah, that I'm one's okay. with Fremantle Press as well. And I guess even, and then the Light series, even within genres, my books don't really, so not only do I jump around as far as age groups, I guess my books cross over ages. The Light mm. series is is marketed for uh, youth, children, mm. but seniors and adults seem to like them, mm. I mean, just as much. And yeah. they're now being adapted again for stage. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> thank that, thank that's it's been announced that so, Theatre 180, yeah, are doing... Yeah. That the um, opening will be, the grand opening will be in Albany um, late February, and then it's going to Bustleton and hopefully beyond. But of course, funding's tricky these days. So see yeah. how that goes. Maybe I think the plan is to take it further, if possible.
0: How amazing. Yeah. yeah. Did, so, they, did they ask you to be involved or
2: not really? It's just a... Uh, I think Jude Helds, who's the artistic director of Theatre 180, was, he brought the first two Lighthouse Girl and Lighthouse Boy to the stage with Black Swan Theatre and Heli Turner wrote that play and she's also one of the two playwrights so there's some uh, some of the creatives have been involved before I think in the very start when it was going to be for Black Swan Theatre uh, long long ago they asked did you want did I want to be involved but I'm I'm not a playwright and so I'm just loving being there and sitting in on some of the earlier rehearsals yes. and just if anything doesn't feel quite right then that's when I'll Jump in, but yeah. otherwise, no. That's their expertise. Yeah, yeah. I've got oh, plenty of other things that I want to do. So no. Yeah, um, it must be really amazing. Never, <laughs> say never.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> how, it must be amazing though to sit there and see your work, you know, come to life in a different medium as well. It's, it's just, just
2: amazing. It's like so many emotions like exciting, humbling, bizarre. I know <laughs> when the 100 year commemoration of the Anzac fleet leaving Albany in 2014, Albany just went off, and there was so many things. And of course, a lot of the journalists were looking for a fresh angle and a, a girl signalling from Breaks the Island with postcards. That was a very fresh angle. So that got a lot of airing. And I know with the commemoration there were there were there were film projections across the Albany Entertainment Centre and on old buildings and it was just so exciting. So many things happened with that. And and then the Giants in twenty fifteen was yeah. loosely based on Lighthouse Girl as well. So those adaptations, I love it when it's out there in the world and another creative takes it. Yeah. Um I know the the Combined Youth Choirs have done a song Lighthouse Girl, which was beautiful. And probably as much as any of those things, I like to see the how children, how teachers adapt mm-hmm. it and what they do with it and see all these beautiful phase Signaling away on there. Stage, you yeah, know? oh, that's absolutely <laughs> so incredible. What... I, I feel privileged and humbled, and all of those things.
0: Yeah, would you classify those books like historical non fiction, really? But they are aimed at youth. I'd
2: say it's actually? historical fiction, which... I think, because okay. really they're starting from a, a true snippet, and as much as possible. I mean, the research took four years for the first one because the National Anzac Center yeah, wasn't in Albany then, and so it was all that really old. Now I could do the research in a week up, up there, but back then it was not known was barely known. Even Lighthouse Girl Fay's son, Don, didn't really know about his mother's life on the island. So it was a journey for us both. So I guess it's, it's taking that snippet of fiction, of of truth, of reality, and then weaving around it. I once heard, I think, someone talking, a a very well-known author, about historical fiction and how if not a lot's known, then that's better because you can use your imagination. So,
0: Yeah, oh, that's absolutely amazing. Going back to the categories and things in your earlier career, do you think, because obviously it was a while back then and things were a bit different, you've been able to jump around because of the time or do you think because you're not solely with Fremantle Press, you are with other publishers for your work, so you haven't really – have you maybe pitched to Fremantle Press and they might not have been interested with some ideas, you've taken it wider and just gone that way?
2: Yeah, totally. I know Fremantle Press are just fabulous, but they're only going to do a certain amount of books a year, so whether that's for for children, picture books and, and teenagers, whether that's 10 or 15, maybe even 20 now, I'm not sure what the latest thing is. But really, I mean, you and I between us know plenty of – published Fremantle Press authors and creatives who can't always have a book come out with them. Mm. Um, and it's just a fabulous team there. And also not all books are right for them. I know mm. a few times I've pitched something to Kate Sutherland there and it's just not, she, she's yeah. maybe liked it, but it's not right for her list. So that's gone somewhere else or, or maybe perhaps I know right from the start that a book is for, might work better with, with someone else. Back in the day when I started, there was really you belong, kind of belong to a publisher and it was, they even used the word stable, which I don't know, you all feel like whinnying and galloping about, but it was your part of whatever stable. But now it's shifted. It's, and with so many ways of being published, um, so many hybrid and, and different ways. Uh, back then, I think self publishing didn't have the, perhaps it wasn't quite as professional as now. There are so many amazing uh, ways to self publish and to hybrid publish. But back then, I think you, if you were with a, plus there were less children's authors. I mean, back in the day, I know when, when Fran Aylissack started Squibby in WA, there were 10 of us. And, uh-huh. and now, I don't know, there's 200 and something. <laughs> so more competition. Yeah. Um,
0: and but so, it, is there more yeah. publishing houses or not so much? Uh, I'm not,
2: I think in the last five years, there've been some smaller ones popping up. It's The last few years, I think, have been very difficult for, and this is look just my observation, I might be completely wrong. Some of the bigger publishing houses are the marketing and publicity departments are so influential that you might have an editor who particularly loves a book and wants to do it, but they feel it's not viable enough. Whereas with a smaller publisher, they have more, if it's a passion project, they can just go for it and say, well, you know what, we'll cover this one because it's such a beautiful book. And there seem to be more smaller publishers popping up that have a bit more flexibility Mm. with their lists. And it's been a very hard time for publishing in during the COVID lockdowns and everyone wants something joyful, I guess, but second guessing what that might be. And it's it's always a tricky industry to be in it's this yeah. challenges but it's been really challenging holding titles back and then suddenly they're all coming out and yes. <laughs> that's
0: it but no I agree with what you're saying like I've heard in the past uh you know you were only allowed to submit to say one publisher at a time possibly and I guess like you're saying and then you were with this publisher and times have changed now that you know the game the games change that you can apply to various places and and things like that so uh, when you were sending your work out to various publishers and obviously you have got picked up how many publishers are you with off the top of your head,
2: <laughs> um, okay. Fremantle Press, Penguin, Allen and Unwin, Wild Dingo Press, Walker, and Cengage. Yeah, wow, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that's I've a lot. Forgotten. Do you explain all the books that you've got out with the other publishers when you're kind of pitching your work to different publishers? Do you say, This um, is my background, this is what I'm pitching to you? Does it matter? Does it come into play? Is it any... well? I,
2: I guess, I guess if you stay around long enough, um. <laughs> Things get easier. Yeah. So for me at the moment, two of the books that came out this year or 2022 were commissioned, which is unusual, was exciting and fabulous. So, my first book with Wild Dingo Press, the Aussie stem star, Munjed Almudiris, that was a commission. And then a second one, The Sky Blackburn Lang, Eating Edible Insects for the Planet, <laughs> which is great. Eating Insects for the Planet. Such a fun topic. Yeah. Um, that was commissioned. And then also my book with Alan and Unwin. So is part of the Through My Eyes Australian Disaster Zones series, mouthful. And uh, <laughs> that was the commission. So that's set up in, up in the Pilbara and it, they have Australian disasters. There's going to be, there's four. First is Tasmania and then there's mine in the Pilbara. So that was a commission as well. So I guess in those cases, I was asked to be part of those, which is, lovely. It's such an honor and really different experience to me coming up with an idea and then pitching it. And I still have so many ideas. I've got like a, pa- a few pages and That's the most instant ideas, they just stay in my head for years and years. I'm working on things that really have been in my head for years, waiting their turn for me to give it full attention. And so one of those, the last one in the light series, the last light horse, I felt, well, I I really wanted Fremantle Press to do that. So I pitched the idea. It took me ages to get the pitch right. Uh, and then I sent it to Kate Sutherland with all fingers crossed, all hooves crossed. And um, <laughs> she, um, she took it up, but I was really, I wanted to write a book about Sandy, the only horse. Of about 136,000 to come home from World War One, But I was open to the idea of it being a picture book or something. I didn't mind the shape of it. Yeah. And I trust her. She's an amazing publisher. She didn't want it to be anthropomorphic, which of course is one of my passions. She felt that it would round out the light series really well. And that was terrific. I totally agreed with that. So that was, so really before I wrote that, although I had the story so in my head, a lot of the research from Light Horse Boy was um, already there. It was different in that the other books all have a multi-perspective, so their first and third point of view, whereby either from a letter or a journal the story is also told, as well as the archival photos. But with a horse that's not being anthropomorphic, I had to come up with another way to add layers and perspectives. So um, yeah. so basically I linked Sandy's, I, I shaped it around the four four men who were really important in his life, and that gave me a, a a little bit of a way to add some depth and layers. Yeah,
0: that's amazing, and um, oh, I think it would be every author's dream to get to that stage to be able to uh, obviously still pitch. But you, I suppose, like a debut author or an unknown author, they they can pitch, but then the publisher doesn't know them very well. They know they don't even know if they can deliver on what they say. So you have credibility, experience to be able to put that forward, and then them trust you as well as getting commissions, which is yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. and, and <laughs> I
2: I really know how what a privileged position position. position I am now because for so many years like for so many years I don't know 10 20 however many that was my experience and so I guess if you stick with it I'm still just as anxious as any new author about a book coming out or being picked up um we so I think it's the nature of being a creative we maybe I think Warren Flynn an Albany author he once said authors feel and illustrators Feel the world differently, or whether there's a a sensitivity that you're more raw to it, or, or something along those lines. And that resonated for me, in that I don't know any of my author, creative, illustrator friends who are not anxious, sensitive, worried about you know it's just how we are and it's, I, but
0: it's, it's just such, yeah well I just think it's such a personal thing though you know it's really putting out yourself out there out into the world for people to have an opinion and it's it, it's bloody scary <laughs> exactly. it's good or bad <laughs> yeah. and
2: it takes a lot of, of bravery and courage to do that particularly if you're new to it and you particularly if you're working full-time at something else and you're new to it to just keep plugging away is really hard and you really have to keep ging yourself along and and believing in yourself and Joining up groups that are supportive or having a, a critique buddy and those kind of things are really helpful, I think.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when you get rejected quite often and then you're just like, Oh gosh, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard not to take it in. And, but you do, you end up growing a thick skin, but where the position you're in now, you have worked hard to get there. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so with the, you know, the variety of books that you have put out from picture book to middle grade to, to, you know, teens and, and obviously nonfiction and, and all the, uh, Categories in the genres. What are your tips for authors that are looking to, you know, jump across different sections? Much like yourself, I have a lot of ideas from picture books to older readers to uh, middle readers. There's obviously, if you have any tips with uh, writing
2: or publishing or just, yeah, anything really. <laughs> I think that probably one that is really important that I don't always follow myself, but I am aware that I should is don't send it out too early. And it's very frust- It's very hard when you've put your heart and soul and you've already spent a year or two on the idea and you just want to get it published. You just want to get it in the hands of readers. You want to get it out of your life so you can go to something else or, or you know, share that. But so often it's not ready. In my case, anyway, there's probably authors who who do all that in their head. For me, it's like 100, 200, however many drafts of just really trying to make it as, as good as possible or um, ready to go out the door so I think be patient I'm not I know but (laughs) there's my my advice but I really just do the drafts do the work let it settle so I'm always working on at least three things five ten in various you know my I've got it two pages of ideas that jostle around and, and they're in different formats and and just in different files in my study. So depending on which one is annoying me the most or which one I feel the world is ready for, there's some stories that won't ever be published because for whatever reason, the world shifts and, and the market's not there. But that doesn't mean I haven't grown as a author by trying to make it shape, shape it. So I think don't self-doubt, don't question yourself too much, just get to the end of your story and let the shape settle. You could say the shark caller, for example, that is, I don't even know what genre that is. It's adventure, it's fantasy, but not high fantasy. And I really just let that find its own way and um probably if i hadn't been doing the phd which was looking at animal voices and anthropomorphism it'd still be not finished Mm. but because i'd nominated that as one of my creative projects (laughs) to finish (laughs) that again so really i think get to the end get to the end and then Put it aside, go keep a copy, of course, okay. on your computer and then go back knowing you've got a copy and just try it in different ways. Try it as a, as a middle grade, as a picture book, as a poem, you know, try it in different ways and let it settle, okay. uh, share it with a trusted friend or writer buddy and then come back to it. Again and again. I don't send it out too early. <laughs> when you I'm... say
0: let it settle, how how long do you let it settle?
2: Well, I'm working. On... <laughs> yeah, it depends on each project. I think sometimes something will be ready quite quickly. That's rare for me. But there's a picture book that I I've just been. I know it's a great idea, and I've been working on it probably for at least five years. And I just keep coming back to it, and I keep changing it around a bit and working on it. And I know it's not ready. I I'm very tempted. So. Often to have sent it out this year. But I just don't feel it's ready yet and I don't know what's wrong. But I think if I leave it long enough and keep coming back to it, and I think it will find its shape one day and it will be better for it. Um, And there's plenty of things to work on in the meantime. And I know that's very frustrating because we want our books to be out there in the world. But working on multiples and letting them take whatever time it is they need.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic advice. I really, I really appreciate that. No, thank you. So obviously you have had this extensive career and you know you know what you're talking about. You know what you're doing after so many years. I'm not sure that I do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you do underlying somewhere, uh, even though you probably feel like it's the first time, but you've worked with a lot of industry professionals, you know, editorial teams and marketing teams and been through all that. So with that in mind, as this is the hybrid author podcast, have you ever considered uh, independently publishing? or put in a workout yourself that's maybe you think, oh, I don't think this publishing house would want it or that, or everything just sort of ties in with what you've got out there?
2: Yeah, sure. I, at the moment, I did have an idea that I really wanted to do. And my sister's an amazing photographer. So I kind of had a, an idea that we could maybe, do, and she also has her own business. So I thought, well, she's got the skills that we could do something together. Um, there's There are so many ideas that, might not fit a mainstream publisher. And so I certainly wouldn't say no to doing that. At the moment, I've got a few things that I think I hopefully can place with a publisher, but I'm certainly not at all. Um, and the work its changing so quickly. Five years ago, I would have said no. Yeah. But now there are just so many great options and ways of doing that I'm not I just feel as if I don't have time to write down all my ideas and so them the people who know me know I'm a bit of a muddlehead so I don't know if I mean I am at my own business but whether that's the side of me that I'm not Wendy Binks say who's an amazing Um, (laughs) so maybe it's better for me to keep going the way I am but if there was a project that really called me and no one was going to take it then Mm -hmm. yes I'd consider going down that path
0: yeah, no, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's not the easier route I'm um, finding, you know, into like self-publishing, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> we get there in the end, but it is, uh. It is a process.
2: <laughs> and I think what you're doing is brilliant in that it, by by doing this bod- podcast and now I know you've you know joined up to, to be a Squibby <laughs> on the committee and those those are the ways. So for like basically people know you now and mm. so they know that you're really passionate, they know you're active in the community and that you know you're doing the hard yards to get involved and give back to the community. Mm. So publishers really respect that and I think your name gets known and I honestly think that a really good way for other people to get involved with a writing community, volunteer, you know, CBCA, do yeah. that, do it all. And then people embrace you it's it's a friendly mm. community children's literature yeah and you it's all...
0: um as we said before about uh you know taking the knocks and it can be hard to keep chipping away being amongst your people and uh, i get so inspired going to the 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 workshops and the author talks and the launches and just being around people with the yeah. general same interest as myself and it <laughs> the, keeps yeah, you going <laughs> it
2: does. and every time i go to a workshop or a launch i learn something every yeah. single time
0: yeah, no, it's incredible. Well, you sound like you've got so many amazing things on the horizon, Diane. Apart from your your big play theater extravaganza, what else can we expect from
2: you in the
0: well, it's really,
2: future? Well, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm really excited. There's Walker Books. Uh, there's a middle grade uh, novel coming out called Scout and the Rescue Dogs. Latest date I think is either June or. 7th or July 7th, it was, there was a chance of this year and then it was put back to January and it's now it, that hopefully that's when it comes out. And I'm really excited about that. It's a middle grade links to the 2019 bushfires, which my family were impacted by. And it's, um, a, a girl whose dad's a truck driver and he's, they're doing a philanthropic truck run, taking dog food to dog shelters around sort of parts I of had, the. had Echope. to get that in there. <laughs> That's really exciting. I know, I know. Um, And there's also um, a very well-known WA dear friend of mine and I who I'm not sure that all of the T's are crossed on the contract, but we will be doing a picture book together. And I can't wait to work with her. It's going to be a wild ride.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, huge congrats on all your success so far. And thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. Can you tell us where, our listeners, where they can find you on and offline, all your books and media
2: and everything? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you. I've got my website basically is com. I also keep another website, uh, Animals Who Talk, which I haven't posted on all year, but there is some interesting things. I am going to. That's a New Year's resolution. Um Instagram's just Diamond Having a weird name is helpful sometimes. Um, it's a good name. I like it. <laughs> <for author. laughs> and uh, well, not W is right down in the far corner, but I've Tim Winton and Marcus Zusak are there with me, so that's a, a nice place to be. I'd rather be up the front though. Um yeah, so, and Facebook. So I don't, I don't, I never really got into Twitter, but um, Instagram and Facebook and my website—that's the best place.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank
2: you so much, Diane. That was amazing. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: So there you have it, folks—the truly inspiring Diane Wilfer. And if you haven't already, go and check out the wide variety of Diane's books, as she is a fabulous writer. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have Troy Lambert from Plotter. Plotter is a new writing software, well, it's more a plotting software for authors. And he's going to be telling us all about this and much more. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it for me. It's bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope
0: you're further forward in your author adventure after listening. And I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.